0: You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Amie Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. Okay, everybody, welcome back to One Broken Mom. I actually have a returning guest, and I'm interrupting our conversation that we were just having to like break in an intro into this whole thing, um, but I'm sitting here with um, Elizabeth Earnshaw, Liz Earnshaw, and she's actually a Philadelphia-based therapist, but as we'll find out later on, she's actually expanded, so if you want to be able to tap her resources and her um, her practice a Better Life Therapy, she'll be able to do that in a few other states, and her specialty is working with couples on a variety of their relationship issues, whether it's divorce and physical fidelity, intimacy, um, and anything related to that, and I reached out to her because I wanted to talk about people-pleasing, and so we were actually just kind of talking about, like, our personal styles and how people respond to stress and traumas and, and, you know, um, and and how we engage with one another, and I've had some personal and professional experience with some people-pleasers. And, uh, you know, and I noticed what they were is that they overcommitted themselves and they never speak up for how they feel. And then I watch them spiral because they don't do what they feel like they really want to do. And then they go into these balls of anxiety, stress, and, and depression. And, um, my perspective today on this conversation that you and I Liz are, are going to have is, you know, I'm coming from what I know is like probably the opposing, like the opposite side of that, like tendency and behavior, um. And I hope that the conversation that I'm adding to this in a constructive way, and I don't want it to fuel anyone's personal shame if they identify as a people pleaser. I mean, I definitely don't want that to happen. I mean, no harm. But through my experiences, I ended up not responding to situations in a people pleasing fashion. I kind of ended up doing the opposite, like the dismissive avoidant walls go up, run away in the other direction. You know, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to do it. You know, I just, you know like i said i that's just who i've had to i know about myself and how i respond and so If um, I, I, this is like my disclaimer for the rest of the conversation, anybody watching or listening, if I say something that seems insensitive, I mean no harm. I'm just like, (laughs) it's not a a personality trait that I live with and understand. And so Liz is gonna help me understand this and also hopefully um, raise some awareness for some people um, to understand the differences between being kind and, you know, and people pleasing. So welcome back, Liz.
1: Thank you for having me back. And I think this is going to be a good conversation because I used to be on like the end where it was people pleasing. So the two of us can kind of balance out. (laughs) <laughs> where we should, where we should be in the middle. Right. Um, because I'm certainly a recovering people pleaser.
0: Okay. Well, then this is perfect. Right. This and I didn't perfect. know that when I asked you, I just knew that you were really good at, um, you know, at communication skills for, you know, for people in, in relationships. Yeah. And um, so awesome. Well, you know, I know this probably sounds like a no brainer, um, but it's not bad to be considerate of other people's feelings and to give in at times, you know, that it's not always about your way. Um, it, it, moments and so um so that you know we're not really trying to lay it all out there that every time you say yes to somebody then you're obviously a people pleaser right
1: absolutely and i mean we need really a balance in our lives between being able to say yes to people and take care of people and love people but also sometimes say yes to ourselves and take care of ourselves and love on ourselves and a lot of us because of our own really you know our childhood histories our traumas Most people, they end up on either end of the spectrum and they struggle with that middle zone, right? But being a people pleaser is not the same as being just kind. Like it's okay to be kind. It's okay to be generous. It's okay to even sometimes like sacrifice your own comfort a little bit. Um, But being a people pleaser is when you have like a chronic pattern of sacrificing your own well-being. Um, sacrificing your own values, your own comfort, because you put other people's comfort in front of your own. Mm-hmm. And um, when people have that as a pattern of behavior, they end up being in lots of relationships where they're not really a part of the equation beyond what they can do for everybody else. hmm
0: yeah, and so and I I'd like to be able to see if there isn't um you know some common like uh, statements that might align with that but before we get into it then I, what I want is I want to define what the other end of that spectrum you know might be because I think it might be important for somebody who doesn't identify as a people pleaser to know whether or not they're in the healthy middle or if maybe they're on the other end because I when I've been in a situation with people pleasers you know I know that I am way on the other side of it and I always have to check myself first like okay are they you know are you prejudging this or are you judging the situation unfairly because of your opposite responses to things and um, are they a little bit more centered than you think they are because you're way out here on you know the far right Mm -hmm. edge of it and so with that said then when is it when is a person truly acting selfish And uh, when they aren't um, meeting in the middle with somebody, so to speak. So we kind of know what like the, maybe the opposite end of that is.
1: Yeah. And I think it's pretty much the opposite definition, right? It's, it's when there's like a chronic sacrificing of the other person in order to just honor yourself all the time. Right. So there is, there is like a continued pattern of I'm going to choose myself, even if it means I betray you I abandon you, I reject you, I leave you at your worst moments because it's just me all the time. And I think when we think about that end of the spectrum, sometimes people that sit there, they might get caught like, independent or they might define themselves as not needing anybody like I don't need anybody and those people are so needy and I think that if you catch yourself being really critical of people who have needs or feelings or tend to be more sensitive that you might kind of want to get in touch with is it really that I am independent and balanced and able to take care of myself or am I more dismissive, avoidant, afraid of vulnerability, afraid of connection? Because we can get like that, that, the positive characteristic of independence mixed up with what might actually be avoidance of connection. Um, and so so that's usually where we see people when they're on that end of the spectrum.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, like I said, I, if, you know, if you structure out, you know, a test and answer some questions and stuff, my my tendency, like, you know, talking about attachment styles, and I think we did get into that in the last conversation mm-hmm. that we had. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's worth actually just kind of revisiting a little bit um, is attachment styles that we all end up with some form of, you know, a version of it. And like I said, my my plotting of the map and actually it all weighs out is on the dismissive avoidance side. And I, you know, I can probably gather why, you know, to some extent, again, based on my own personal experiences. And so it has historically for me personally, and again, this isn't the show about me, um, but what it has done is it has definitely driven me towards relationships, you know, that um, not that I didn't want emotional connections, but it drove me away from female relationships. So Mm -hmm. I always did want male connection and kind of, somehow found myself with men who couldn't do it. So, you know, funny about that one. Um, but it, but that, relate, that personality part of me made me very leery and unable to have good female connection because there's a lot of emotion sometimes with them. And they were the ones that were like, man, they're going off the rails. They're getting too needy. They're getting too dramatic. They're getting, you know, all the two words um, and that just was like, no, I'm going to hang out with a bunch of guys and play basketball today. I'm not going to, you know, do that kind of stuff. Um, but do a breakdown real quick then of attachment styles that might help us as we kind of lead into the people pleasing you know conversation.
1: Yeah, so when we look at people and the way they connect with each other, we find that people have kind of a primary way of engaging in relationships. and the main way which Statistics show the majority of people are. I don't actually believe it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. I've seen that. I know where you're going, and I don't know. <laughs>
1: who knows who they've tested with this, but they, they say, and who knows who they are, but they say <laughs> that the majority of people are secure, which means that you mostly feel safe in relationships with other people. And so you engage in relationships in that middle zone that I was alluding to earlier, which is that... You can be generous, kind, vulnerable, and you can also have boundaries and be independent and take care of yourself. And you're, you're in that middle zone. Then there are, you know, some people who grow up feeling like relationships aren't really safe for me to be in. And the way I keep myself safe is I avoid them. So there are avoidance styles of relating. And some people are kind of dismissive avoidant where it's like, eh don't want any of that neediness stuff. And some people are more um, disorganized where they might sometimes like move into the, the side where they feel a little bit anxious and get some of that connection and then they kind of pull back from it again. But that avoidance side is, um, wrapping it back into the people pleasing is usually where people like to begin to define themselves as being independent. I'm independent, I don't need anybody. Um, <laughs> That's you, right? (laughs) I don't need anybody. And part of that is actually a really good characteristic. So I love to talk about things without really pathologizing most of them, right? It's like, good, you should be independent. That's actually a really important thing developmentally to be able to take care of yourself and set boundaries and rely on the self. But when you're really avoidant, you kind of lean into that and you let the other muscles atrophy, where you're like, I don't need anybody. So what that means is that nobody should need me. And what that means is I shouldn't have to talk about my feelings. And sometimes those people can end up feeling pretty lonely and not really understanding, how do I get closer to people but still feel safe? And again, attachment styles are all about where do I feel safest in relation to people? On the other end of the spectrum, There are people who grow up feeling like the only way to feel safe in a relationship is if there's some sort of dependency need being met. Either the other person has to depend on me or I have to depend on them. And if we are not fused in that way, I'm going to feel super anxious. And we call this an anxious attachment style. So if I don't hear from my partner for a few hours, That, that makes me feel really worried that they are breaking up with me. And then all of these, you know, um, light bulbs go off and flickers go off and you, you get really afraid of that. Or if this person doesn't need me, like if they want to go on a business trip by themselves, then that must mean they don't love me. So that makes me really anxious. And when you're on the anxious side, what will happen is that you will try to, and I use the word manipulate, not in the way that it's usually used, um, not to criticize, but you will try to manipulate the situation to get that dependency back, right? I, some people will threaten, I'm gonna break up with you, or if I don't hear from you in the next hour, I guess it means that we're not together anymore. Other people will fawn, so they'll say whatever the other person wants to hear so that they stay around, oh, that's fine if you go on your business meeting by yourself, even though you're freaking out inside and it really isn't fine. So that's the anxious side of things. People who are anxious tend to be people pleasers
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because they really, it is more important to keep the relationship than it is to keep the self Mm -hmm. and avoidant people. It's more important to keep the self than it is to keep the relationship. Mm -hmm. And so those are the two sides of the spectrum. Mm
0: -hmm. And then in theory, more people are in the middle somewhere. And I'd like to know where those people actually live. (laughs) I would love to know who they are. Right. Right. Now, I think in fairness, though, um, when it comes to attachment theory, though, is that we we can move, even though we have a primary yeah. attachment style, when we become more self-aware and, self, you know, um, and understanding, you know, we are able to adopt and kind of go into that. So it's not like it's a fixed state for us. Right. Right. It's not fixed. Also, just to make things
1: more confusing, because, you know, human beings just love to be confusing and hard to pin down. Um, your attachment style can look different from person to person. Mm-hmm. And so you might have lots of relationships in your life where you've always felt secure in that middle ground and nobody's really totally in the middle. Right. But you've always felt mostly like you can navigate them. And then there's one relationship that you've noticed just makes you feel a lot more anxious, or there's an experience like somebody has an affair, um, so there's infidelity or, you know, your partner dies or, um, you know, something happens that really changes the way in which you feel safe within relationships. So they're not fixed. They can move towards secure. They can move away from secure. And it's just based off of the information we get that says relationships are safe for me, or actually they're not.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, bringing that point up because, you know, like I said, it was really interesting for me to detox from a situation and then really begin to understand again that, that the dismissive avoidant tendencies that I have, and I'll call them tendencies. It's, I'm not going to identify myself as a dismissive avoidant because I do understand healthy communication and I'm learning and growing in that way. But I do recognize when that specter pops up, that, that instant, you know, um, safety you know, of like, oh my God, like I'm going to be, and for me, it's a feeling of feel of being overwhelmed, you know, like, oh, I'm going to get overwhelmed here. And I do not want that to happen because I, it sucks. You know, I, mean, I hate having to fend off or, de, you know, deal with that. And so that's the, that's the times at which that little trigger will go off and I'll feel that part of me, you know, that's the part, but for the most part, you know, it like it, you know um you aren't like stuck in one thing and i think the dismissive avoidance i've always taken we're, we are probably the most maligned because we're the ones that you know come off in like pop psychology is you know just uncaring or whatever which isn't yeah. true. <laughs> not true
1: that's not true at all yeah and i feel like with a lot of titles we like to somehow pathologize and say Oh, those people pleasers are just needy, weak, da, 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 and those dismissive avoidance, they're just cold. And, and that's not what it is. It's all about what makes you feel the safest in relation to other people. Mm-hmm. And so if the thing that is safest to you based off of your experiences and your wiring is that when things are overwhelming that you pull back, that's all it is. It's not being cold. It's not being mean. It's not being uncaring. It's that you don't feel safe. So you pull back. It, something's too overwhelming it, it over it overextends extends the skills you have in that moment for whatever reason the same with people pleasing if you people please it's not because you are wimpy or don't have a backbone or, or whatever but it's that the thing that makes you feel safest in that moment in the relationship is to make everything okay because that's the only way you know how to feel safe in that moment and so what we hope is that people you know, the world would be pretty boring, I think, if we were all perfectly <laughs> secure in the middle.
0: <laughs> Nothing the to is, fight about.
1: <laughs> the hope is that you get to do what you've learned to do, which is to be conscious of it and to decide how do I use this skill as my strength when it's helpful? And then how do I also decide in some moments that, you know, it's not going to help me right now. Here are some other things I could do. Or it didn't help me. I want to go back and like you were saying before we were talking, I want to go back and apologize and say, I recognize maybe I was cold and the same with people ple- pleasers. You might have to go back and say, I recognize I offered more than I should have. And I resent you now. And I need to apologize for that. Um, but it's just really wanting to get to a space where you get to decide.
0: hmm yeah, that's a great point. And, and like I said, I I didn't want to, I didn't want us to go, you know, again, talking too much about the one, but I think for us to understand one, you almost have to understand the opposite or the the other end of it. To me that I feel like that that kind of builds that and that framework in there. Um, and so when we let's swing the pendulum and back into that direction of, of people pleasing, and you talked about some of the things if I were to, uh, and I actually, you know, I came with a few uh, comments, uh, you know, uh, statements that a people pleaser might have. And I don't know if you actually have like um, some of the key things that people do, because what I'd like to do is for a listener to sit here and go, okay, we're going to go through some of these things. And yes, no questions to yourself. Is this something that you do? Is this something you don't do? Mm
1: -hmm. And why it
0: classifies as people pleasing. Um, So one is um, agreeing with everybody all the time, people pleasing Mm -hmm. or not people pleasing.
1: People all the time. People
0: please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And yeah. so, where is that? Um. You know, it's it's okay that we are we listen to what everybody has to say, but the people pleaser, what never ever speaks up and never says that they disagree with anything.
1: Right. So you can hear other. The place you'd really want to get to is not agreeing with everything everybody says, but understanding everything everybody says. Right. Like that's a good skill to have is being able to say. I can still hold on to my own opinion, but I hear where you're coming from. I don't agree with it, but I hear it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you find though, that every single time you, you are talking about something with someone that you easily become convinced every single time, like you leave, you, you begin it with an opinion and then you leave it and you go, Oh yeah, I get what they're saying. And actually that's my opinion. Now that's, like a coping survival skill where you believe somewhere deep down inside that if you think differently than this person, that they're going to be upset with you, or that whatever this person said is more valuable than what you have to say, that they know more than you or whatever it is. So we certainly want to be able to be changeable. We want to be able to hear other people's perspectives and potentially sometimes change our opinion. It's not healthy to never change your opinion either. But if you're always agreeing, then that is people pleasing. And sometimes people will actually always agree for real. Like they'll actually have their opinion change. Other people will deep down not agree, but they so will they say out loud. Oh, oh, they pretend I they agree.
0: agree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Here's another one that I've that I noticed too, which is, um, you know, feeling responsible for other people's feelings. Like not yeah. real, not realizing you aren't responsible for how other people feel.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That is something that comes up with what I talked about when um, the anxious attachment styles are a lot about dependency, right? So there's this sense of, I don't know where I end and you begin because for me to feel safe, we have to be like fused. And so there's this belief that if you do something and someone else is upset that you caused that and that you have to be responsible for fixing it. And also if someone comes to you upset, you might often believe that you're the one that is going to be able to fix it, even if you had nothing to do with it. Right? So you have someone come to you and say, I made a really bad decision yesterday and I lost all my money and I feel terrible about it. And then you all of a sudden feel responsible for making them feel better. Like it's okay to want to be there for them and to say, oh, let me hear what that's like for you. I'm so sorry. What ideas do you have for fixing this? But when you actually feel the responsibility to change the feeling, that can tend to be Mm people-pleasing.
0: And I I, I had that experience with somebody at one point where, you know, I had shared, you know, just again, hey, this happened. And I I truly wasn't upset about it. It was just a point of contention. Um, and the other person, like it, they just, they soaked it all in and then, and felt terrible for like a full day. Like, I mean, emotionally, like couldn't function on any other level about it. And I was like, you know, I didn't like and I tried then addressing that, I mean, you know, um, with them, is like, you know, you aren't, like, even if I was upset about this, this isn't your responsibility, like, it, my emotions are my, like, how I choose and, and whether I, even I can choose to respond a certain way, because sometimes our emotions just happen, right? They're not choices sometimes, they just are. Um, but it, I was surprised by how this, this person had just, like, soaked it all in, took all the responsibility for it, felt worse about it than it really, in my opinion, again, here's the dismissive, way worse than it needed to be, you know, kind of it thing. Um, but then I, you know, kind of in the arc of this person's life, I realized, man, that's a tough life. Like always feeling responsible for when, you know, somebody else is upset and Oh, what a drain, you know?
1: Yeah. And then it becomes really, really hard when you might have to do something that is upsetting to someone. So it makes it challenging to set a boundary or to say no, or to, to be honest sometimes. Um, because, you already feel responsible for their feelings, even when it had nothing to do with you. But particularly if you believe it's in response to something that you said or did or couldn't do, um, it's pretty exhausting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. my From my side of it too, it felt like um, eggshells now. Like we had just found a territory for eggshells. So it reduced my ability and willingness to actually be more authentic and honest because I could see like you know i'm not responsible but yet i could see the circumstance it didn't matter where i came or what angle i took this person was going to take it this way and i didn't want that for them so it's kind of like you know um well then i'm you know i'm not going to bring this stuff up anymore because every time i do it goes down a path that i don't want it to go down to and it starts to erode you know kind of the the true you know honesty between you know two people uh, you know in my opinion
1: and that is what happens is that it makes it so that the other person it creates a scenario where the other person has to guard. It's very meta. The other Mm -hmm. person has to guard almost the, I'm going to call them a people pleaser just so we know who I'm talking about, but they have to guard the people pleaser from getting overwhelmed. So then there's a sense of, I'm I'm not going to share it with you anymore because when I share it with you, I know you take responsibility. I don't want that because that's also overwhelming to me. So, we will not have the connection around this. Um, So that's something that happens. Or on the other end of it, someone might take advantage of that and think, oh, this feels really good. You know, whenever I have a problem, they fix it all up for me and I don't have to take responsibility. So whether it was a a problem with them, an interpersonal problem or a problem in my life outside of them, I can go to them. They clear up the responsibility and I don't have to feel the tension anymore.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's toxic, right? Like, because, you know, the one friend of mine that actually falls in this camp of people pleasing, you know, has a history of being taken advantage of by people that, you know, saw that and went, I get to blame everything on that other person. And I have no account. And it's just like, you know, you'd have conversations with this person, like, stop dating those people, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, but. but it That's but it kind of like opened that door, right, like you know that yeah. that personality opens the door to the sinister, darker people that like love it you know
1: yes, and it it opens I think we all can potentially open the door to those people mm-hmm. they 're yeah. everywhere right yeah, they are, they're um, everywhere <laughs> they're at, and everyone has gotten has opened a door to them accidentally at some point. But what happens is that someone that feels that the only way they're safe is number one within a relationship and number two is if the other person is pleased within the relationship then they're less likely to recognize really abusive behavior because they're they're taking responsibility for the other person's bad behavior and when they take responsibility for that they're saying well if i can only please a little bit more be a little more easygoing, keep this relationship going, then I'll be safe, right? Like the safety comes from keeping that relationship going and pleasing the other person. Now this other person is like, great. This is great for me. Cause every other relationship I've been in, people call me out and that doesn't feel good. (laughs) And I don't like that, but I like this relationship with you because I don't have to feel any tension. And so It's not that someone who people pleases is just like only going to attract these types of people, but they're more likely to continue the relationship because it's fueled by their anxiety just to maintain that relationship.
0: And that's a a great point. And I, you know, when you started that conversation, like that little segment there, my chest tightened because um, I have, you know, the doors open. We all attract somebody. I attracted a person who that was a response to it. I mean, it was an abusive situation, like it evolved Mm -hmm. into an abusive situation. And those behaviors, again, you can be on the opposite end of the spectrum and still find yourself making concessions like that in certain circumstances with certain people that take advantage of it. And so when you were describing it, I was like, whoa, there goes my chest again, like feeling all that, like all over again. in my head and that's I mean we like to believe that there's
1: like a person who attracts abuse or there's a person who's more likely to get abused but in reality any of us can end up with someone who ends up being abusive and it is because there might be certain things that happen. Like I said earlier, your attachment style kind of can shift with people and it can become more secure with safe people. But with unsafe people, you might become more anxious. And your survival skill within that anxiety might be to people please, or, um, you know, like a trauma response is to fawn, which then maintains that relationship because that other person is able to get away with their behavior not through really any fault of your own necessarily, but because your survival skill to keep you safe is actually making them feel pretty safe too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whew. Okay. So another trait that I would noticed is um, people pleasers can't say no. Like yeah. they, they can't break the bad news to anybody anytime for any reason. <laughs> yeah. Yes.
1: And when they, if they do say no, it is, a very fluffy no. Right. So if you if you can push yourself
0: to say no, and I'm owning this, the
1: no is usually pretty fluffy. I would love to. And I, and you give the whole explanation. The over
0: explanation. Yeah. Like
1: I'm taking my car to get the oil changed and also the brake pads are worn out. And then afterwards I have to like eat dinner and then, but you know, so even when you do say no, you often feel like you have to, um, you have to explain the no, and there's again all of this has nuance. Sometimes it is nice to explain the no. It is the kind thing to not just say no, period. Right. <laughs> Sometimes you do need to say, "I would no really, to. <laughs> yeah, I would love to if if I could. If you really would love to, you don't want to lie. I would love to if I could, but I just can't. But you don't have to go on and on and on, and then think about it all night and stay up all night long. But someone who tends to people, please, they will overextend themselves. So they will say yes to a lot of things. And when they say no, they will feel very, very badly about it. It'll keep them up, it'll make them worry that they're losing that relationship, that the person's angry. Um, And then what happens is that they overextend themselves in a way that they let somebody down um, and that really hurts, and then they end up trying to fix what they let down, so you get really caught into this cycle of like i 'm overextending to please you, I let you down, and now i 'm going to have to please you again
0: mm-hmm. yeah, I noticed this um with a friend that overcommitted, like you know over promised and under delivered as a result you know just said yes here and yes here, and then at some point needed to say no to somebody because you can 't actually do everything and uh, you know, for for what it did is I like earlier you used the word manipulative, but again, we char- characterized it not as the sinister form of manipulation, yeah. but it's con- it's a controlling. And, and with this case, what I began to realize, you know, um, with this one particular friend was I couldn't trust them anymore because they said yes to everything. And because they couldn't say no, that when they said yes to me, it was a 50, 50 chance that it actually was a no, but they didn't know how to tell me the truth. And so then I was like, this is not a trustworthy person, not in the sinister way, but then this person just has this uncontrollable urge to say yes to everything. And I just can't make plans around that. Like, I can't believe that that's, that's going to happen.
1: Yep, exactly. So, you know, the, on the other end of it, the person experiencing all the yesing ends up sometimes being really let down. Right. And again, this happens now and then that's, people say yes and they don't mean it and they have to take it back and all of that. But if this is a chronic thing where you're continually having to follow up with your friends and say, I know I said I could help you move, but I just can't this morning. And you're telling them last minute and, or you just aren't showing up to like, you make a doctor's appointment. You just don't show up because you were too afraid to upset them and say, no, I'm not coming. And if you're having this all of the time, and I'm sure that if you're listening, if this is you, you're like, yes, that does happen. It feels terrible. You might really want to think about um, people pleasing and like how this has played a role for you. And that at the end of the day, it often results in not really pleasing at all.
0: Mm -hmm. And a lot of stress and anxiety. Uh, You know, that's what I've seen is when, then when somebody has to say the no to somebody there, it's like, oh my gosh, it's like terrible, you know? Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I, you know, I have noticed too is that the imagination gets a hold of it. You know, the conversations that I've had of like, well, what do you think is going to happen? Well, they're going to be upset. They're going to be mad. And, um, and I have actually, you know, literally said, you know, I don't think people give as much a shit as you think they do. And I've literally, literally looked at somebody and said, I, I literally don't give a shit. But yet the, the whatever doom and gloom and catastrophic thinking was going on in their head about what the could-bes, and the what ifs and all that other stuff, never, you know, I wouldn't say never, but very often never, You, know, I said it again, doesn't line up with the reality of how the other person that you have to say, listen, I can't actually go to lunch with you um, because I've already made plans. But I, you know, I, you know, just said yes, because I didn't want you to be upset. Most of the time the person's like, okay, cool. Like, I'll just make other plans, you know.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I tell people all the time if this is something you're working on start practicing retracting your statements. And you will see how many people do not give a shit. Like unless you wait until the very, very last minute when the person has already like cleared their schedule for you. And I mean, even then people, unless you do that too many times, most people are like, all right, whatever, I'll take the free lunch hour. It's fine. (laughs) Um, But most people don't care as much as you think that they do. And I think that there needs to be a lot of compassion around where did that come from, that you believe that because you tell your friend you can't get lunch, that they're not gonna to wanna to be friends with you anymore. And again, most of this comes out of some relational trauma. So where did that happen? Where someone said life, life in this family is too tough, so I'm gonna leave, right? Like did a parent abandon? Did you have a really significant relationship where the person just disappeared on you? And having compassion around it being hard for a reason and if that's what your friend is like, if you can't say no to your friend, I would rather you get that information than continually try to cover it up by always being perfect.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. One last kind of trait characteristic that I wanted to, to go out before we, we start to wrap this up was um, that I noticed is um, uh, people pleasers adopt the, adopt the cause of other people instead of having their own. Is that is yeah, that accurate? Yeah. Yes,
1: definitely. Um, So one thing that will happen a lot is that someone who people pleases, again, like I said, they kind of sacrifice themselves and their cause is the other. The cause is getting a relationship to work. And so what you do is that you put yourself behind and a lot of people pleasers will lose their own hobbies, will lose their own interests, their own goals, because the goals of the other person, the hobbies of the other person, the interests of the other person either become their own or at least become something that they support. And so you could see this in a marriage with one person who, you know, entered the marriage on an upward career trajectory, but they really want to only support their partner. And several years in, the person is like off that track, but their partner is really succeeding. And they're no longer doing the hobbies they used to do, but their partner goes off and does the hobbies, but they stay home and take care of a kid or, or whatever it is that, that needs to be done in order to elevate the other person. Um, and so, yeah, other people's causes, their goals, their interests become more important than your own. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of lose yourself within that.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh- one thing, you know, I kind of have this as the hard question, you know, that people would need to ask themselves because I've seen a lot of self-justification. You know, I've sat there kind of with the skeptical eye going, yeah. And it's like, no, I'm just a total team player. Like I'm all about, like, you know, I don't need to have my own things. I mean, again, you know, I want to say they're kind of the lies that they've, people have rehearsed in their heads of why, like I'm being kind, I'm just naturally a generous person. I'm just, you know, all of it. And, you know, and I sit back there going, man, I feel like, you know, maybe, maybe not like, maybe that's just a, you know, you, you, you've been rehearsing the thing that you need to tell yourself to justify doing this. Um, because maybe there's a benefit somebody's getting out of being a people pleaser, which is avoiding loss of contact or whatever it is. So how do you, how do you, um, how do you, as a therapist working with somebody who's, um, feeling, you know, the resentment building up in them that they don't Mm -hmm. feel like they ever, or they have anxiety, for example, um, I think some people that I know would identify that they have anxiety and depression, but not a people pleasing because they're just a kind, generous and team player, right? Like they don't connect the two of those things together. So they come in for one and the other. How do you start to uncork somebody here and start to um, move them? Because that's a scary place if you've survived that way. Yes. Right.
1: (laughs) But that's, that's where it starts is to be able to say, Yes, you absolutely are all of these things. Just like on the other end, if somebody says, I'm just an independent person, I don't need anybody. um, It wouldn't be to say you're not an independent person, right? Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't be to say to a people pleaser, you're not generous, you're not kind. Actually, that's not true. Someone who says I'm just an independent person is probably legitimately pretty independent. And someone who says, I think I'm just kind and generous probably is. So first, I usually meet them where they are. You are right, you are very kind and very generous, and probably came out of the womb predisposed to be kind and generous. You probably already had that personality a little bit, because some of us just come out that way. And I'm thinking that there are probably some things that made you build that muscle instead of the other. And I'd really like to talk about what were those things. What made it easier for you to be generous and kind and a team player and flexible than to be independent, boundaryed and assertive. And I'd like to hear what that was. Why is it easier to do those things? And that usually helps people to say, okay, so it's not a bad thing that I'm kind and I'm generous and I'm a team player. I don't have to stop those things. It's like, no, you do not have to stop those things ever. You're an important part of the world because of those things but you also have to recognize that there's something, there's a reason that you didn't develop the other stuff. And I want to know what that is. And then people open up and they'll say, you know, when I was younger, if I spoke up, I would get yelled at, or, you know, my mom was really sick when I was little. And so I just felt like I had to kind of make it easy on her because everybody in the family was really suffering. And it's like, great, that makes sense. But you missed, because of that, some developmental things that are going to help you have more satisfying relationships that include you. And so I'm so glad you can do for others with your mom's illness or with your family's abandonment or whatever it is. You learned how to do that and you need to, you need to keep it, but you've got to build the muscle that lets you do for yourself. And the, here are some things that, that are that. And I would say the same thing to someone who says, well, I'm just independent. I don't need anybody. What? Great. But why did you build that muscle and not the muscle to be vulnerable? What happened? Talk about that and then talk about, okay, so let's, let's get those developmental skills of vulnerability and sharing and neediness and help like needing help. Let's get those to be built up for you. And. Wherever you are, it's not about getting rid of the stuff you're good at. It's just about adding things that are going to make your life a little bit more fulfilling for you.
0: Mm -hmm. Great. I agree with that. So, is there, um, does anybody, do they have to go to therapy to get started on breaking their people pleasing habits? Or are there a couple of recommendations that you might have for somebody that, you know, if they identify with um, with this, uh, you know, I, I, let me maybe back up. I tend to do this. I tend to run forward with a question and then I back it out and I start something else. So I'm going to do that here for a second. Um, will a people pleaser know deep down they are sacrificing themselves? I mean, will they feel a little bit of resentment or a little bit of sadness that there's a trapped person inside that isn't coming out? Like, does that? I think
1: so. I mean, I think the issue is if you don't, unless you hear it, And then you start identifying it, right? So even listening to this podcast right now, you start thinking, you know, it it is true. I resent a lot of my friends or it is true. I feel anxious all the time saying no, or I constantly have to cancel on people last minute because I overextended. Then there might be this part of you that's like, oh, that's, that's that discomfort. I will say that therapy is not the only way that once you have that awareness, you can obviously start to notice it happening. And you can read books about setting boundaries and assertiveness and even tapping into your own needs. Um, Certainly start protecting your time in certain ways, even if that means that you promise yourself every Friday for only 45 minutes, like you say no to everything except the thing you want to do. So anybody asks you at 5pm on Friday to do something, you always say no, like practice that that time is for your art class or your dance or whatever it is that you like. Um, but therapy of course really helps because we are so we are so ourselves that we don't see ourselves a lot, right? And even when I've gone to my therapist, even now when I, I think I'm actually have gotten pretty good at being like, eh, you know, I can tell you if I can do something or not, um, my therapist will still catch me, right? She'll still say, you know, I hear you're angry at your husband, but like, did you tell him no?
0: <laughs> did you say,
1: <laughs> you're not allowed to play drums tonight because I need to do something else? Or did you, with a smile on your face, say, oh, go for it, hun. have fun. <laughs> and I have to get honest with myself and say, yeah, I don't think I really expressed it. So seeing a therapist or someone that can say to you, I'm noticing you're unhappy and I'm seeing it be related to that same pattern can help you get in front of yourself where you usually wouldn't see it.
0: Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to ask one last question here too, because we've got two women sitting here on this, um, you know, this discussion, having this conversation here and, um, and maybe, you know, people see people pleasing as again, um, and and part of the examples have been, you know, a woman, you know, a wife, you know, kind of deferring to a man, but people pleasers can be men too.
1: Oh yeah. And I have a lot of, Male clients that I often have to point it out to, and I think, you know, I'm I'm using wife and all of that because I'm talking about my own experiences. But men, many men are people pleasers, and a lot of the things that we I think stereotype men as doing that's like really bad, like you know, having affairs or whatever it is. Honestly, a lot of that comes out of unresolved people pleasing. Because when people people please for too long, what they actually do is they end up betraying people. And, um, you know, you can only betray yourself for so long before you start to believe that it's actually okay for you to betray someone else. And so whether it's the examples we talked about earlier, where you're overextending for lunch dates and stuff like that, and then all of a sudden you start canceling on your friend last minute, and then you yell at them because they're so inconsiderate of you, your people pleasing led to kind of, betraying your friend and the same goes with you know bigger things you said that you are happy with things in the relationship for so long and you um never mentioned that you're unhappy with sex or time being spent together or whatever it is because you don't want to upset the other person but instead of upsetting them directly you go off and you do something else like you have an affair um that can often be, not always, but sometimes that's a result of people-pleasing. And obviously men and women have affairs, but that is often where men come into therapy. They first learn about their people-pleasing because they've done something to really hurt someone they love, and then they find out it's because they've had this experience for a long time of just saying yes all the time.
0: hmm Yeah. Uh, you know, and I can imagine too, professionally, sometimes we, um, we, we, you know, feel like we betray ourselves at work and then we come home and, and, and kind of offload, you know, that, you know, Mm in different ways. Um, because this is probably going to air, I think I've got a scheduled here. So people are listening to this or watching this in October and October is domestic violence awareness month. And I usually, you know, want to make sure that I'm talking about that subject matter year round. Um, but in there, um, I, what I want is if for anybody that's listening to this um, with that fearfulness, um, because a people pleaser can be emotionally taken advantage of, you know, emotionally abused, like we had mentioned earlier, the, um, the constant putting yourself second, uh, you know, can be, um, what are some signs that a people pleaser might be in an abusive situation? And, you know, if they hear some warning bells and hear that maybe you and I haven't already touched on yet in our conversation. So experiencing chronic contempt is a sign of abuse and
1: I don't think that gets talked about enough but contempt looks like continued belittling right so um, taking a one-up position saying that you you know honestly playing into many of the beliefs we just talked about um, one being like I believe I'm responsible for this other person so are they using these things are they saying You made me feel this way, or you embarrass me so much because you are X, Y, and Z. So they take the position of utilizing all of those things that you think about yourself um, against you. You know, I thought you said you're a kind and generous person. You aren't. So using those things with contempt is a sign of emotional abuse. And I think a lot of us miss that. We think it's arguing and fighting, and then you know they come back and they say sorry, but that's a sign of abuse. Um, obviously any physical violence is a sign of domestic abuse. So if people are hitting you or touching you in ways that you feel are scary or harmful to you, that is abuse. Um, you know, whether you feel like there was a big fight and it made sense or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. People choose to cross those lines. And so if someone crossed a line with you, that made you feel unsafe. That's abuse. Um, Isolation. So again, with people pleasing, all of this plays into what you believe of yourself and what you believe is important. So if you really loved me, then you would not hang out with these people. Isolation is a huge sign of abuse. So if anyone is trying to isolate you from like your friends or your families or your family, or even your support network. So your therapist sounds like an idiot. Um, you know, if you loved me, you wouldn't go to her anymore. Cause every time you come home, we get in a fight, but just really recognizing the isolation, the physical violence, the condescension, those are signs that it's really not a safe situation.
0: Mm-hmm. And thank you for adding that in um like i said I, I don't want to say all people pleasers will find themselves in those situations, but those things we did talk about do make it in the hands of a, a person with dark personality traits. They will latch right into it and just siphon you know as Absolutely. much out of it as they can so
1: and one other thing i'd like to add that I also think think gets forgotten is that one Form of abuse can be like perpetual advantage taking. So if if someone is constantly, let's say, spending all the money in the family, and you are having to fix that for them all the time, and they're draining bank accounts, and you're living in a state of stress, that's abusive. Mm -hmm. And I think when we boil down to it, if your partner is willing to continually make decisions that cause you to live with anxiety, stress, and fear consistently, that's not a good situation.
0: Mm-hmm. No, thank you for bringing Yeah, that's, again, chest tighten, trigger, trigger mode right there. Um, and, you know, we say, you can't say this enough, you know, people think of domestic violence as physical violence, but I mean, you know, any bruise, any broken arm I would have ever had would have already been healed by now, but the brain... You know, is injured for yeah. a very long time, and we just cannot under you know ne- we can't talk enough about recognizing what emotional, psychological, and financial abuse looks like in a relationship. Yeah. So, thank you for yeah. for adding that in. Um, okay, so how does everybody find you? We got all these people that are ready to to talk to you about how to care of themselves, of their people pleasing. So, yeah. where are you?
1: <laughs> so, the easiest place to find me is on Instagram at Liz Listens. If you go there, you can connect with me in lots of different ways. And I share a lot of relationship tips there um, with, in terms of healthy relating. You can also find me at www.abetterlifetherapy.com. That is where all the therapy stuff is. So if you need a therapist and you're in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, or California, we can help you. We have individual therapy and also face-to-face and office um, availability. And if you wanna shoot me an email, you can do it at info at And you can find me there. I have a monthly membership program where each month we pick a topic. One of them will eventually be people-pleasing, actually. But last month was interdependence, where we talked about the balance between quote, independent people and quote, (laughs) generous, nice people. (laughs) So um, you can also find me through that as well. If you're interested in joining every single month, we do a different lesson on love. And it's an amazing community. It's called Love Lessons 365.
0: Cool. Awesome. And then all the links will be in the podcast notes. So everybody who didn't need to pull over and write that down um, or hit pause or anything like that, you'll be able to grab those. Um, And I love your Instagram account. You know, I love following the, you know, your tidbits, your conversations and, you know, engagement with everybody that, you know, pops in a question and stuff. You're always, you know, answering and responding to people there. So it is definitely a cool, I mean, that's how I originally found you was I found this fantastic Instagram account was like, yeah, she's smart. That's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, Liz, thank you so much for your time today. This was a great conversation. I really appreciated this. Um, um, And so, yeah, I appreciate you and what you do and and taking the time to chat with us about this. Thank you so much for having me. It's always
1: so fun to talk to you.
0: Cool. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiclericone.com. And there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Krakoni, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.